This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. This was about what is the process, what's going on behind the scenes scientifically when I'm making a salad dressing or grilling a steak or trying to spice up vegetables for people who want to eat more vegetables in their diet. Those are the kinds of things that appeal to me. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss the human condition and whether we're on the clock. We'll learn about the best fitness apps. We'll explore the new documentary on the science of cooking. And lastly, we'll find out why you can never outperform your self-image. But first, a little bit of business. If you enjoy the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, you'll love the Tonic Newsletter. With links to the podcast and articles from the magazine, the newsletter will also let you know about upcoming health and wellness events, curated articles from across the internet that expand on the health and wellness topics important to you. There's contests and prizes and so much more. Best of all, it comes directly to you. To subscribe, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. The Tonic Newsletter, you know for what ails you. Tony Wall is the founder and president of Noesis, a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to human education and the elimination of perpetual conflict. Wall spent most of his career in the financial services industry, but continually found himself drawn back to the study of humankind. In 2019, he established Noesis and created a series of educational videos to explain his concept of the human injury and how primitive instincts drive today's human interactions. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm very well. Jamie, thanks for having me. So, you know, I'm a crossword guy. I communicate for a living. I was a litigator for 20 years, and I just said a word I've, I've never said before, and that is noesis. What does it mean, and why did you select that name for your nonprofit? Noesis, you know what? It's a Greek word, a Greek word that is the arrival place of intelligence properly deployed. It would take you to a state of noesis. That's how we got our name. And quite frankly, we tried to get a few other ones before that, but that's what it means. It's the arrival place of intelligence and understanding. Okay. And, you know, you've set up this organization. What is the mission? The mission is quite simple. It's this. Human sustainability is our mission. The sustainability of the human race. And I'll say something right now that would have been shocking 10 years ago, but no longer is. And that is that the human race, all 8 billion of us, is not sustainable in any discernible way. And as you'll find out in this conversation, it really never was. And that's why we formed. So we are about human sustainability. And what we intend to do is uh, extremely focused. So that is our mission, human sustainability, nothing less. That's a big task. It sounds like a lot of work, a lot of things to do. I'd be interested to hear how we're going to go about doing it. So where should we start? Where do we go from here? Let me take your cue on that. How do we do this? The first thing first thing we'll do is we'll establish the central assumptions here at Noesis. If human sustainability is our goal, then we have to have certain assumptions. Those assumptions are these. Number one, that human beings, in fact, evolved on planet Earth. If other beliefs would go against that, we would tend to say we would fight for anybody's beliefs 
We would never ask anybody to give up their cherished beliefs. Our central assumption is that human beings, in fact, evolved on Earth, and also that our starting point is no longer in conjecture, and that starting point was, in fact, the Central African Plains, the African Congo Basin, to be exact. So we start right there, and we get human beings on the same page. We have a common starting place, and that's why all of our problems will also be common, as you will see. Okay. So your theory is because we are all the same, our problems are all the same, and then presumably the solution is all the same, right? The solution is all the same, and the failures occurred by all the same precise mechanisms, like beings. Never mind the fact that we are situated in 200 countries. We can't defeat that, and why would we? But the fact is that we did, in fact, come from the same place. We are linked genetically to the tune of essentially 100%. So all human beings, in fact, came from the same place, and that's where we start. And the central assumptions that we evolved on Earth, another central assumption is that about two million years ago, Homo erectus appeared in the African Congo Basin. He would walk this Earth for 1.7 million years, and 300,000 years ago, he was superseded by Homo sapien. Again, another central assumption that is immovable for the purpose of problem-solving to find sustainability. Mm-hmm. So from there, we had a 300,000-year period of migratory behavior that took human beings to all areas of the globe in a way now that is well, well understood. The human evolutionary journey on this Earth, once a matter of conjecture even 50 years is no longer so. A window of self-discovery for the human race to understand itself is now open and not a minute too soon. We got to all areas of the globe by about 10,000 years ago, and then we broke that inertia by settling down into larger populations, and that's where the problem began. Okay. So let me just give you that uh, foundation there to uh, ask away. Okay, so are you saying that our problems started once we started to propagate? Is it the issue that we become too many, or...? Um, No, but close, close. You know, good work by you. You made a logical progression there. The concern, the serial killer of human interaction, essentially started when migratory humans became stationary humans. Right. As in, there was no place left to go. We had reached all areas of the globe about twenty to 10,000 years ago. There was nothing else to do, logically, but to organize ourselves into larger and larger populations. And we can agree easily that the actions of migrating in collaborative nomadic groups is much different than settling down and the dynamics that would form when, logically form, when that happened. Those dynamics, those dynamics right there, they're ground zero for what would go on to disassemble and destroy every human culture form after that time. So, you know, the ground zero for human degradation that we see today was when the dynamics that formed, constant failed dynamics, as we will show, that would guarantee that we would fail in very precise mathematical 
fashion to that. So what's the cause of our failure? Why is it that being sedentary and, I guess, setting up settlements results in our failure? As well, a- yet another perfect segue question, and that is that something that we call here the human injury. The human injury is very real. This is not a buzz phrase of any kind. Human injury is extremely real. What happened to us? Something, in fact, did happen to us, and it injured us. It broke the human heart. Pretty dramatic? No, as you will see. What happened was that stationary human beings still had extremely strong, deep longings for collaboration in our DNA, wound around our bones. These would be tested by the dynamics of stationary activity, and that is we crossed over to acquisitive behavior. Collaboration yielded slowly to acquisition. Nobody got together and said, let's ruin the whole human race. These were random events, a random crossover event. Blame, judgment does not apply in any way. It has no utility. So that brought into the human experience intruded the idea of a greater and a lesser being. Now, there's something that needs to be added here about greater and lesser beings. The failures that would immediately erupt from this type of activity, a lesser being did not understand what lesser meant and would go on to escape that reality from the moment it was born. So this is not a situational concern. Rather, the insult was a biological insult biological DNA. So you're saying it's against our nature to not be migratory, and as a result, we became culturally, or we manifested to acquire things, and that created conflict? I got to give you credit here. You're rolling me right into it. The fact is that we began to act in a clinically unnatural fashion. The word clinically is absolutely central here. Greater and lesser beings, a lesser being will not in any way understand its lesser station. It will not accept its lesser station. It never did. So resentment was introduced to the human experience for the first time. Resentment always defaults to vengeance, and vengeance has always defaulted to insurgency. So these mathematical constants are at the heart of all human failure for stationary human populations after we settle down into larger groups. 10,000 years ago, we've been nursing a psychic, no less than a psychic injury to the human collective heart. I say straight out, the human heart was broken. We continue to go on like this with, you know, cruelty. We don't see cruelty here in Oasis. We see broken hearts. Okay. We don't see inequality. We see broken hearts. We, everybody is nursing. We are all in major pain. We are, in fact, injured. And unnatural behavior will be selected with great efficiency by Mother Nature, who is in no mood. Earth loses 150 species a day to extinction. 99.9% of anything that ever lived on this Earth is already extinct. If you're keeping score at home, that's five billion extinctions. Extinction is the norm, survival is the exception. So extinction on Earth is, we're trying to demystify it. The Mm -hmm. idea that this could not happen to us is preposterous. And 
we find ourselves in the future, don't we? We're looking at climate change. We're looking at pandemic. We're looking at disruptive technologies. We're looking at nuclear concerns. We want to solve them. And when we do, and if we do, we will find to our horror that what we forgot to do is to treat the human injury, the broken heart sustained by the collective human experience when acquisition intruded upon a peaceful, loving being that came off of a 275,000-year run of collaborative behavior. So there are cultures that are still nomadic and, you know, perhaps don't have an attachment to possessions that we in North America have. But I don't think you're advocating for us all becoming nomads again. So, oh, no, no. So, oh, so, so there has to be some solutions, right? Where do you want to start with that? Because we well, only have I a few minutes. I dropped all the bombs, didn't I? You I told did. You, like, first things first, like the doctor, when you sit down with the doctor, he drops the bombs first. Unfortunately, we only have a couple of minutes. So you're going to, okay. I want you to give us a little bit of hope here, Tony. Where yeah, are we well, going? This is all about hope and remedy. What Noesis will be doing while partnering with the four things that we're concerned about in the future will be on the evolutionary timeline of the human species to determine the intense weight of two million years of evolutionary influence, the compulsions and impulses that formed over the course of two million years. They fight enemies that no longer exist. The enemies that are protective forces were designed to fight died eons ago. Mm-hmm. It means that we're fighting enemies in our minds that just don't exist. This guarantees misaligned responses that we see today, and that will and has put us into perpetual conflict where we remain locked forever until we understand the evolutionary forces that drive modern behavior. So while our future concerns are worked on, we just are going to stay in the past so we can learn who we are because a window of self-discovery has opened for us and we better darn well use it. And that's why we exist and that's where we're going. Okay, so are we... I'm trying to understand what you're saying. Are you saying that the conflicts that we create amongst ourselves are really just sort of like replacing the conflicts that we used to genuinely have with our environment? Oh, you're very good. They are reinventions. Essentially, what we see today are simply reinventions of compulsions and impulses that we banish to the basement. But these things don't have any capacity to think. They activate 20 times faster than the thinking brain. We are overmatched out of the gate, and we uh, succumb immediately to forces that we never understood, never understood, but that we can now perfectly understand. And if we don't understand the weight of two million years of evolutionary influence upon modern-day behavior, we will always collapse right back into it, never mind our purest intentions. This is interesting, heady stuff. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't have any more time to discuss it today. Thank you. We don't, but I stuffed a lot in there. We do. But if people are interested in learning more, how would they do that? How would they go about reaching out? Um, We are at noesisproject.com. We have a lot of tremendous amount of material teed up already and a lot of material that's hidden. But there are many, many, many videos there that explain all the concerns that I just laid out. Fantastic. And all the text there. 
people can go right to noesisproject.com and determine what we're doing and try to tie all of this together, what we just talked about in the last 15 minutes. And uh, it will make, what we're hearing is, geez, where have you been? As in, how did we miss this thing? Fantastic. Uh, well, we didn't miss it. What happened was that only recently has mankind awakened to its own madness, really. I think, you know, it's, I think that's a fair statement. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That was Tony Wall. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the best fitness apps on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Suzanne Galuzzo is a leading transformation coach and health expert. She's transformed over 10,000 people to lead fulfilling and healthy lifestyles in studio as well as online with her Best of You program. You can find her at SuzanneGaluzzo.com, on Instagram at Suzanne Galuzzo, and on Facebook at Suzanne Galuzzo. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. We're doing something completely different. We've never, ever done this. We do book reviews, but we've never done app reviews. And everybody and their uncle is using apps, and certainly in health and wellness, that's the case, right? That is most definitely the truth. I have a statistic here that ever since pandemic, so March of 2020, downloads of health and fitness apps grew by 67% since gyms and studios have been closed, you know, in and out of COVID. Yep. So So people around the world have started to actively use fitness apps in order to stay healthy and in shape. And, you know, the trend towards even self-development has moved from New Year's resolutions into quarantine. Yep. So let's get right to it. I know you have some fitness apps that you want to talk about. Where do you want to start? Mm -hmm. Which one do you want to start with? I want to start with the sweat app. It's by Kayla Itzine. And she is a, you know, she's an Instagram famous Australian, super, super cute girl. And she has an app 
quite popular. I hear a lot about it within my program because a lot of the women in my program, they're while they're doing my program, they'll also have kind of their go-to app. So I do sure. hear about it. So is this for women only? Who's the app for? It is. It's specifically for women. A lot of, you know, catchy phrases in it about being a strong, empowered, and confident woman. Okay. So yeah. if it's for women only, like, is there a specific bent to this? Is it talk about women's like physicality and fitness specifically? Yeah, you know what? You can tell with her the choices of titles like body weight, glutes, and core. So it's very much hitting women, female body parts that we are naturally attracted to, which are glutes when we hear, you know, sexy arms, you know, abs, that kind of stuff. So it, it is very woman focused. Yes. And is there a specific problem or issue that the app focuses in on? Is it about weight loss or strength building or cardio? Does it have I a focus? I think what she likes to draw in, and it's very apparent by even how she kind of commercializes herself, is that anybody can do fitness. A lot of low impact body weight stuff in her program, mm-hmm. which I find amazing because I think that the hardest thing for people is to get started, period. True. And following a program is, is difficult. So her, I would say her app is for beginners, for sure. It allows you to pick your goals so you can lose weight, get fit, build muscle, whatever your goal is. And then you can also choose from different instructors. That's a good feature. Yeah. So she has a lot of Insta-famous girls on here as well that all represent different body types, different... It's a diverse array of instructors. So you'll find someone that you connect with and then you can, you know, do their class. So uh, I presume, have you used the app yourself? I did. I, so I tried a few of the classes. Mm-hmm. Very robotic is what I want to call it. You know, it's, it's uh, the girl is standing there and she is, you know, doing her movements in a robotic way. There's no talking really, no interaction. You know, after using the several other apps, I see how some of them try to connect with the user. Yeah. So there's not, it's very, it's cold, I want to say, and it's uh, robotic, but it's simple but you would i could see somebody getting bored of it very easily it was very uninspiring okay so it's not an interactive class then right these are no no straight up old school bodybuilding moves gotcha bicep bicep curl push up simple but the model is doing it and you follow along and then there's a just a very brief description and then you go to the next one okay i guess the sixty four thousand dollar question is this a download or not a download in your opinion no, I think that even the most novice user would get bored super quickly, you know, but that's my opinion. I think that you would outgrow this app quickly. What is nice about it is there is an option of doing, you could pick from four to 24 weeks, which I didn't see in it, the other apps mm-hmm. having that flexibility. So if commitment scares you and you're new to this, picking a four-week program, it will get you in the game and you won't feel you know, like a failure after four weeks, you completed it. So, you you know, it's a positive, I think, just giving people that option that they don't have to commit to a 90-day program. You can just do a four-week and complete it. Did you pay for this app or is it a free app? It's a free app, but then they, you know, once you're in the app, they try to get you to pay for things. Like what? Um, like nutrition, like, like nutrition nutri- bars and so stuff like that? there is a food planner. Yeah. And I actually did go through the food planner as well. And I, I did like her little meals and stuff and what they have in there. Super simple. 
But then I learned with other apps, other apps have a grocery list. This app does not have a grocery list. So you're kind of lost with your what you're buying. You just have to figure it out yourself. Okay. Um, just it, it, super, super simple, no frills app. All right. So let's move on to one that maybe you like a little bit better. Okay. And I didn't think that I would love the Jillian Michaels app because mm. I don't love Jillian Michaels. Yeah. She's polarizing, right? Because of her work on uh, Biggest Loser, right? Yeah. And so, you know, our generation remembers her quite well. The younger generation, not so much. Yep. Super simple quiz at the beginning asking me what I do like and what I don't like. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't long. So because you, you're feeling, okay, I just want to get started. I downloaded this app. Let me get started. I want to see what there is in this app. Very user-friendly. They spent a lot of time doing this app, you can tell. it was. I was super impressed with the workout and her nutrition. And even, you know, in her pictures, she's showcasing a really svelte physique. But, you know, surprisingly, in the workout, she's just kind of soft. Like, she's not as intimidating Jillian Michaels as we know. Yeah. And... You know, she has a commanding voice and she's directing you while her body is moving, your body is moving. Mm -hmm. Lots and lots of workouts. But again, it's one exercise at a time. So that like that old school bodybuilding style. And I just think that, you know, right now in a time where nobody is feeling 100% about themselves, she seems very inclusive in how she's speaking and just her appearance in general. So I really did love that. I loved her nutrition in this. It was great recipes, great photos, super easy to follow. She puts in the calories, which I love, and then a grocery list as well. That is helpful for people who don't, because it's all tied together, right? I mean, like we're talking about fitness apps, but, you know, there's going to be spillover into other aspects and diet and nutrition just kind of is part and parcel. If you're if you're serious about being fit, you also have to consider what you're putting in your body for sure, right? So You know, most of these apps, they're going to have to start to include different, a variety of things to, Mm -hmm. you know, with the app, not just workouts. Just workouts, I think, is going to be phased out. If you're not including accountability, nutrition, integrating with your app, with your phone, you know, having information on your phone about your workout, your timing, you know, keeping track of your heart rate integrating with Fitbit or Apple Watch, which most people have one or the other. I think if you're not showcasing those things in your app, your app is not going to be downloaded. So is this also for the beginner or would a more experienced? uh... Yeah, I think it will range from beginner to intermediate. Okay. And is this this for women too or is this for men welcome? There is nothing on it that is screaming women on it. It's very inclusive. So what did you like best about it? Like if you were recommending it, what would be the feature that really wowed you? I would say that even her description, like, you know exactly what kind of workout you're going to get. It's thorough. So there's a rest in it. There's, you know, the descriptions for the actual exercise is there for a beginner. Mm -hmm. And you know what else I like is you can ban moves or foods that you hate so you're not going to be shown those kinds of things oh that's interesting so you can you can edit within the app that's fantastic Mm -hmm. you can also watch her dvds yep in there and she does include audio for workouts so a kind of a new trend that's happening and we'll talk about it in the next app which is the fitness plus by apple is walking narrated walking oh cool and 
that's kind of a new trend happening with celebrities narrating your walk and talking about where they are or what they, you know, a, a really inspiring story, how they got started. So she has a little bit of that, Jamie McFadden walking. I think she is also another Insta celeb, fitness yep. person. And running, 15-minute beginner stair workout. So a little bit. It looks like they're just starting to get into that. But the meat and potatoes of the Jillian app is workouts. Workouts and just having a thorough workout. Because sometimes I look at these routines, I'll be honest, and I'm like, that's a routine for a 10-year-old. Yeah. So is this is this a thumbs up or a thumbs down for this? Definitely this a thumbs up. I think for somebody that needs a little bit more guidance, is starting their journey, is kind of serious because it's fourteen ninety nine per month, I believe, and then there's like a rate of a hundred something for the year. So there is an investment, but I think it's I think her app is definitely worth it, and I think that Jillian Michaels is somebody that will constantly update and add to her app as trends change, and that's something that you don't want to get bored because they're not you know, updating it with different features, fixing kinks in it. That turns people off too. That's when they usually just get rid of it, right, on their phone. Yep. Fantastic. Will you come back on the show again another time and tell us about the other apps that you tried out? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. That was Suzanne Galuzza. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the science of cooking on the tonic. Hi, this is Jamie Buston of The Tonic. If you enjoy The Tonic talk show and podcast, you'll love The Tonic newsletter. With links to the podcast and articles from the magazine, the newsletter will also let you know about upcoming health and wellness events, curated articles from across the internet that expand on the health and wellness topics important to you. There's contests and prizes and so much more. Best of all, it comes directly to you. To subscribe, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. The Tonic newsletter, you know for what ails you. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Leora Eisen is an award-winning filmmaker whose documentaries have appeared on several Canadian and global broadcasters, including CBC, Radio Canada, History, Documentary, Bravo Factual, Smithsonian, BBC Worldwide, and Amazon Prime. Awards include Gemini, Yorkton Golden Sheaf, and RTNDA Best Feature Documentary, and multiple CSA nominations, including Best Director, Best Science Doc for Into the Fire in 2019, and Best Feature Doc Two of a Kind in 2016. Leora established her production company, In the Vault Productions, in 2018, and you've been on the show before. Welcome back. Thanks. Yes, I was on the show talking about another food-related nature of things, I think. I think that's exactly right. Some years ago. So it's good to have you back on the show. And we're going to talk about the science of cooking today, right? Uh-huh. So what was the initial inspiration for Chef's Secret, The Science of Cooking, which is the title of your latest documentary? Well, for me, it was actually the pandemic because my adult daughter 
moved back in with me after a couple of years uh, away in England during the first lockdown. She's a good cook and, like many people, decided she wanted to try her hand at sourdough. That was kind of a thing back then, uh, if you recall. My wife took it up herself and is now making two loaves a week. So there you go. Oh, my God, I might have to come to your house. Anyway, (laughs) I found it fascinating. I had done research on gut microbes, microbes in the human body, but I didn't know that much about microbiology in the food we eat. And as I watched this kind of original goo, the flour and water that they call the starter that you make before it's actually dough, I became fascinated because it seemed like the thing was growing on its own. It it actually doubled in size, and she was absolutely obsessed even setting her alarm in the middle of the night. I don't think she had become that obsessed with something uh, since I got her one of those Tamagotchi toys you had to look after (laughs) a million years ago. Anyway, I wanted to know more because having done several science films, I knew that this wasn't magic. It was microbiology. So I went down the research rabbit hole and discovered that there are all kinds of cookbooks out there, all kinds of culinary scientists and experts who base their cooking techniques, their recipes, and their approach to cooking on science, on chemistry, on physics, on microbiology. Who knew? I certainly didn't know. And so once I began researching it, I thought, well, someone's obviously made a documentary about this on the nature of things, and they hadn't. And <laughs> so there, that's how I arrived at it. So that's a pretty broad topic you decided to sink your proverbial teeth into. So how did you narrow down the focus for this documentary? Well, part of it was, frankly, things that interested me personally. I have to admit, yeah. I'm not the greatest cook. Some people have a natural flair and seem to just concoct a dinner party out of thin air. Well, in the days we had dinner parties anyway. I am not that person. I need to understand what I'm doing in order to make it taste half decent. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to learn more about things, A, that I may like or things that colleagues of mine, uh, the researcher I work with, who happens to be an excellent gourmet cook, would also be interested in so it wasn't dumbed down for people like me. And I wanted it to cover a meal. So everything from bread at the beginning Mm -hmm. to ice cream for dessert, homemade at the end. Ultimately, it had to appeal to the home cook. This was not about, you know, molecular gastronomy and, and adding dry ice to some fancy dish. This was about what is the process? What's going on behind the scenes scientifically when I'm making a salad dressing or grilling a steak or trying to spice up vegetables for people who want to eat more vegetables in their diet. Those are the kinds of things that appealed to me. Right. Like what happens when you're caramelizing meat by charring it or, you know, you're creating, for example, an emulsion when you're making a dressing, those types of things. Exactly. I mean, those terms, frankly, I was familiar with caramelization, but if you asked me what it meant, I wouldn't have known. I knew that my daughter's salad dressing, her vinaigrette, tasted a lot better than mine. Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand why until I researched what an emulsion is and why a good grainy Dijon mustard will make your vinaigrette that much better. So once I kind of knew what questions I had, I went searching for answers. 
And, of course, we wanted to find chefs who were also scientists, which there are many chefs, there are many scientists, but we wanted to find people who were both. And, in fact, we did. We found some amazing people who would be able to explain in the documentary and demonstrate what it is they were talking about. Yeah, there's two kinds of cooks, right? There's the intuitive cook, and then there's ones that, like, need the recipe, and the recipes are, like, procedural. So you find a lot of scientists are actually quite good bakers because baking is very procedural because there's so many sort of chemical reactions that occur. But for you, as a neophyte, what was the most amazing discovery for you? Well, in terms of tips, there were some great tips. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them, speaking of caramelizing, is because I've often caramelized onions to go along with the meal. And for some reason, it always seemed to take me longer than doing anything else. Mm -hmm. And that can screw you up when you're trying to prepare things at the same time. So a chemistry professor at Rice University, Lisa Tran Lu is her name, and she is lovely. She's not only... Uh, professor, she teaches chemistry to university students through a cooking class, but she also grew up, her her parents were fortune cookie makers hmm. in Houston, Texas. They were Vietnamese immigrants, and she grew up in the kitchen and having to cook for her brothers and herself. So she's both an intuitive cook and somebody who understands the process. And she suggested try adding a pinch of baking soda, not too much, but just a pinch, and it will speed up the process. And in fact, in the documentary, it, we, our, our host does it, and it works. And I tried it at home, because if I can do it, anybody can. And in fact, it really did speed up the process by about a third, I would say. They were browned and smelling wonderful much more quickly. And I thought, that's a great tip. And the why is because pH balance is part of chemistry. Mm -hmm. If you're adding baking soda, you're adding alkalinity, Mm -hmm. and that changes the speed at which things will caramelize, which is onions are just, it's the sugar and the water interacting. So, yeah, lots of interesting tips like that. Another one was uh, how to make my mashed potatoes less lumpy. Mm -hmm. You know, I am lactose intolerant. So I'm one of those people who can't just add gobs of butter, which is always the trick. Yeah, no, that was Um, my go-to. Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) uh, uh, So our PhD in mashed potatoes guy, and yes, there is such a thing, (laughs) one of the things he does to make them a bit smoother is you're trying to control the starch. Because what you're doing when you cook the potatoes is you're exploding the starch cells and the wall of pectin, which is kind of like a gluey cement in fruits and vegetables, that holds the whole thing together. Once you cook, you blow up that structure, and the texture you want is partly based on how much you demolish. And so one thing he does is cook his Yukon Gold potatoes without peeling them, keep the peel on, Mm -hmm. which as far as I understand it, is healthy for you anyway. And don't cut them. Boil them whole. Now, he does other things for smoother potatoes. He doesn't use a hand masher. He uh, uses like a food mill. Like a ricer? Yeah. A fine strainer or a tammy. I won't go that far because I find that too time-consuming. But I had never thought about not cutting potatoes. You grow up. You think you cut your potatoes in quarters or halves if you're about to boil them. So, you know, none of this is brain surgery. The fascinating thing to me 
is the why. Mm-hmm. You know, why can you make ice cream at home without churning it? You don't need one of those fancy ice cream churning machines. Mm-hmm. Stick it in the freezer, and yet, if you do it the right way, it will still be somewhat scoopable. To me, in my head, if it's frozen, it should be a block of ice. So it has to do with the science of what is inside that ice cream. Well, I presume it has to do with the crystal structure. It has to do with three things. It has to do with you have to have some form of sugar, which whether that's a sweetened condensed milk, whether it's another form of something containing sucrose, sugar acts like, you know, the salt we put on roads in the winter. It freezes at a different temperature. It decreases the temperature the whole thing freezes at as a whole then. So that means also it's the ice crystals, mm-hmm. and also you need fat of some kind, which comes in your cream, to trap the air bubbles because you need air. Yes. Air is an ice cream. Without air, it's not going to work. And so the miracle of ice cream to me is that it's a solid, a liquid, and a gas all in one. You know, who knew? Just You, you know it tastes good eating it. Yep. <laughs> what else do you know about ice cream? And so... I haven't tried making it yet, but for someone like me who's not super confident in the kitchen, this may actually prompt me to try it. Of course, it's not the healthiest food in the world, so we wanted to include things that were healthier as well. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and I think you probably inspired other non-cooks to consider the how and the why of cooking. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me, and uh, try the ice cream. I will. That was Leora Eisen. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of the Tonic Magazine. The Tonic is published six times a year and is delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. It's also available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. And if you miss it, you can also read The Tonic online at thetonic.ca. Hey, if you like The Tonic Talk Show, I know you'll love The Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Hinnacon guides and mentors people to work through seemingly unbreakable barriers, whether it be creating quantum leaps in their business or exceeding personal goals. She helps people challenge the thoughts and beliefs that are holding them back. Then through extensive work, those thoughts and beliefs are replaced with ones that help to supercharge her client's growth. As a peak performance coach and former registered psychotherapist, Hina has been a student of the mind, human behavior, and human potential for almost two decades. Hino is also a familiar face in the media and is called on as an expert for a number of television programs, podcasts, and delivers keynote presentations and training to entrepreneurs, organizations, and teams. For more information, you can visit hinacon.ca. Welcome to the show. How are you? 
I'm fantastic. Excited to be here. So do you watch Queer Eye for the Straight Guy? Do you watch that show? I don't. What am I missing? Well, Tell me everything. So there was an episode. So they have people that help individuals, like they get haircuts and they get fashion. But there's also somebody there who helps sort of with emotional issues. And there was an episode that I watched last night, actually, where the theme was, it was an artist who was struggling with self-esteem issues. And the person who was helping him said, you know, you're never going to be able to be the performer you want to be if you are critical of yourself. And that's sort of the theme we're discussing today, right? Absolutely. That is spot on. So let's start with self-image. What is self-image and why does it matter what we think about ourselves? Self-image is everything. Our results, everything that we have or do not have in our life right now is actually a reflection of our self-image. So what is it? It's not what you see in the mirror. And I'm not talking about, you know, when you're all dolled up, feeling really good, or when you're in casual clothes or going to bed. It is how you feel about yourself on the inside, how you feel about yourself this image that you have of yourself that you carry with you, whether you're going to a gala event or you're in for the evening, it is with you all the time. And here's the thing, Jamie, you cannot outperform your self-image. And this is why it is so important, because it sets the benchmark, to your point about the television show, it sets the benchmark for how far you can go and what you can accomplish. Why is it that you can't outperform your self-image? Why is that the case? Because it is like a thermostat. So we have different settings for different parts of our lives. So this was discovered by Dr. Maxwell Maltz, and he was a plastic surgeon. And what would happen is people would get something done, perhaps it was a scar or something removed on their face. And what he would notice is some people would, you know, come after the surgery was completed And they would be like a different person. It was like their personality had changed. And others, nothing would change. And what he realized is that what's setting the bar is how they feel about themselves, their internal self-image. So it's like a thermostat. So we've got a setting of how we see ourselves. So in that example, which is brilliant that you just showed, that person has a set point of what they feel that they can achieve. So even if we took money, for example, if you think, and if the listeners think right now, what is the most I've ever made in a year? Okay, so you bring Mm -hmm. that number to mind. That, and if you make that pretty much consecutively, that's your set point. That's your thermostat, your self-image setting of what you feel that you can make in a year, which means that even if you were to start the year and you made, you were really starting out great and you think, wow, I'm going to double this year, you probably wouldn't. Because you'll level off and your actions will be in accordance to your financial set set point. Let me give you one more example just to bring this home so we can have an image. You know, we're in Ontario right now and it's cold and so we've got the heat on. If we're to open the door and cold air is to come in, the temperature drops. And then what is, you know, the mechanism is trying to get back up to that set point. Once it gets to the set point, it stops. It has reached its goal. So this is why we can't outperform our self-image, because we have these set points. And when we reach it, we stop moving into the action of what a different set point would require. 
Does that make sense? It does. But I, hmm, how should I put this? My regular listeners will know I am pretty much a glass half empty dude. And, <gasps> you know, the internal monologue is not a good one. And, yeah. and so, you know, it's difficult for me to sort of my motivation with the way my mind works is probably different than other people's. And I guess my question is, aren't there people who are, are inherently more optimistic than others for whom setting the thermostat higher might be easier? You know, sometimes it can be in certain areas of your life where you have less resistance. So, for example, this is why we can see some people who are killing it in their professional life. They are doing so well, but personally, it's a friggin' disaster. And so where you have less resistance, it will be easier to change that. But what you were just talking about is very interesting because, I mean, if it's working for you, great, Jamie, but you can change You would have to decide if you want to change the glass half empty attitude. I wonder if I'm capable of doing it. I I guess that's my point. Like a hundred percent. I can't even let you even finish the sentence that would speak to you not being capable of it. You are so capable of doing it because all it is, is there's something that is just a belief. It's a belief. It's, and it's just a thought that you keep thinking. And if you choose to change it. So here's the thing, Jamie. Yeah. If there's a goal that you have, you have to ask yourself, what is the attitude of the person with that goal? Are they a glass half empty kind of person? I, I guess it needs to be proven to me. So how does the self-image impact the results directly? Is it a straight line? So here's the thing. Your self-image is a combination. It's like your attitude. So it's your thoughts, feelings, and actions. And yes, it directly affects your results because here's the thing. If you have a poor self-image or if you think that you are only able to make a certain amount or move to a certain level in your career or it's too late at this age in your stage of life to do something different, that will control your actions. You may not go for that promotion. You may not put your hat in the ring for a certain role. You may not start that business. So that is how it impacts it. And it starts with your thoughts. And then there are feelings that are attached to those thoughts. It's your feelings that control your results, that control the actions that your body moves into. So I always say, you don't get what you want, you get how you feel about what you want. Hmm. And so if you feel, but sometimes we're not aware of how we feel, like that's kind of subconscious, so we do. We have to do a little bit of work. And if you're wondering how you feel about certain things, just look at your results, because the results don't lie, unfortunately. Sometimes I wish they would, but they don't. Okay, so if someone such as me is capable of that change, yeah. how, how does that change occur? What can we do to facilitate that change? The first thing we do is I would want to know, what do you want? So let's say it's a certain area of your life that you want to change in. Then what do you want? If anything is possible, what do you want? And this is actually a big question, and I'll mm-hmm. tell you why, because most people have never asked themselves that. Most people have ended up in careers that, you know, they were kind of told, oh, you'd be good at that. Or, you know, someone really encouraged them to do that sort of, you know, that kind of education, and they've ended up there. But if anything is possible, what do you want? And let's say you decide that, you know, for your career, this is what you would really, really love. Mm -hmm. Then usually what comes up, and this is where working with someone can help, is you're going to get into the how. And all of those doubts, yeah, but is now the time? Look at the economy. I don't know. Should have done it when I was younger. All of these things may start to come up. Here's what I want you to know. And those doubts are part of your current self-image. 
But those doubts and the how is a dream killer. At this point, the how is none of your business. So now we have the end, like we've got the goal, but now we want to live from the end. So then we would think, okay, how does the person, this is the part where the how comes in, Mm -hmm. what are the thoughts that person has? Probably not a lot of glass half empty, perhaps, thoughts. There could be some other thoughts that that person has. And if a person is thinking those thoughts, what are the feelings that that person feels? Maybe confident, calm, peaceful, joy. And if that's how they're feeling about this goal and about this life that they're creating, what are the actions that that person is involved in? How does that person start their day? How does that person present themselves? How does that person show up? What does that person, what kind of activities are they involved in? What would that person be doing today? And then that leads to the result. So can you give examples of the types of things that people would do to manifest the success that they're looking for? Is it mindfulness? Is it affirmations? Is it exercise? Like, what is it? It is all of the above and then some, but it is first getting clear on what you want, why you want it, and then becoming the person that has this. Now, let me be clear, because some people are like, I want a million dollars. I'm not saying spend like the person that has it. Right. Okay. Just let's make that really clear. I'm not saying to go out on a shopping spree. But you know what? It can even be little things of like, what are you not available for anymore? Like, if you're really taking your goal seriously, it can be things like, let me give you this one example. One of my clients, she wanted to increase her sales, and she thought a way to do that is to join some networking groups. But she was the one that was running her children to all their extracurricular activities. So what I asked her to do and what she did, and this is part of her self-image, like a good mom will be everywhere at all times, was she asked her husband to pitch in. She asked other parents to pitch in. And then she not only went to networking events, she became the president of that chapter, and she doubled her sales within a few months. That was a different action that was in harmony with the new self-image. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come back again and tell us more about how we can achieve the goals that we're hoping to achieve? It would be a pleasure. That was Hina Khan. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Tony Wall, Suzanne Galuzzo, Leora Eisen, and Hina Khan. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The January-February issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.